And there's not much research that gets done on that field, but it's incredibly important because your worldview is what actually determines the kinds of choices that you're going to make in life. So we always have to be very sensitive to who it is that we're trying to work with in this arena because people have all kinds of ideas about what a worldview is, about whether or not they've already figured it out, and we as teachers need to understand who it is that we're working with. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and today we are uh, we are on the floor at NRB, and I am so excited to welcome George Barna to the podcast. George, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Taylor. Thanks for being here. You're uh, kicking off our uh, our second day on the floor here of interviews, Woo! so yeah. it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for those who may not be familiar with your work before, um, you are the founder of the Barna Group. Now you're the executive director of the American Culture and Faith Institute, and you're also an author. Uh, so I know that you have a new study that you guys have just released all the data for, uh, the uh, Worldview Measurement Project. Can you kind of talk to me about that? What, what were you open to do there? Yeah, I mean, we know that everybody has a worldview. The question is, what worldview do people have? Mm. And there's not much research that gets done on that field, but it's incredibly important because your worldview is what actually determines the kinds of choices that you're going to make in life. So we wanted to look at how many people have a particular kind of worldview, one that's called a biblical worldview. And the idea there is that when you're making your choices, when you're trying to figure out what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's significant, what's insignificant, it, your worldview is what helps you figure that out. But if you have a biblical worldview, it's biblical principles that are the foundation of those kinds of choices you make. Because we are very concerned about the state of the culture in America today, we know that it needs to be transformed to be more God-honoring. We also know that in order for that to happen, we're going to have to have a lot of people with a biblical worldview. Because if they don't have that kind of a worldview, they're going to have a postmodern worldview, they're going to have a secular humanist worldview, they're going to have an existentialist worldview, whatever it may be. But that's going to drive them away from the ends of the kingdom of God. And so we wanted people to be investing in the kingdom of God. So that's what this survey was all about, to try to figure out how many people have a biblical worldview. And then every February in the future, we'll be doing the same study with a similar population of the general public to figure out, are things changing or not? How are they changing? What are some of the biggest challenges that we have in moving people toward a biblical worldview? So this is the benchmark study that we conducted this year. I love that, especially just the follow-up and seeing how this develops over time. So I, I was thinking about when you, when you were defining that at the beginning, how exactly are you defining a biblical worldview within the study? Because that seems like a, a nuanced thing sometimes to try and grasp. And, and you know, if you had 10 theologians and sociologists <laughs> together, you'd have like 12 ways of measuring it. So yeah, there's, there's no way where we can go to, you know, Genesis 42 verses 8 to 14, and that tells us how to define it. Essentially, what we're trying to do is get an understanding of when people make their choices, is their first thought, what are the Bible principles that I should be relying on to make my choices or to engage in this particular behavior? So what we did was we said, well, you know, to think like a Christian, which is what you have to do before you can act like a Christian, 
there are a bunch of fundamental precepts that we want to measure. So in this study, unlike most biblical worldview studies, we measured both beliefs and behavior. Mm. Usually just beliefs are measured, but we thought, well, but wait a minute, behavior is really where the rubber meets the road. We better measure that too. We know that we do what we believe, but often people will say they believe something, but they don't follow it up with action that indicates that, which says to me, well, you know, I don't think you really believe that. So that's why we wanted to have both elements in their belief and behavior. So we had 20 belief questions. We had 20 behavioral questions, and we brought them all together into what we called an integrated disciple score. An integrated disciple, I made that up, okay, so <laughs> don't look for that in the scriptures either. Jesus never said that. But I think that's in uh, I think that's in Third Corinthians. Yeah, somewhere. something yeah. like yeah, yeah, the Book of Second Opinions. I think is where I <laughs> yeah, found yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, that that's where we are looking for people to take their beliefs and integrate those beliefs into their behavior, so that their lifestyle imitates that of Christ. That to us would be a, an integrated disciple. They've integrated beliefs into behavior, and they're a disciple because their goal is to imitate Christ. They want to be Christ-like. So that's what we were measuring here. So we had 20 statements about beliefs, and they're fundamental things. This is not Theology 606, okay? I mean, this is like Theology 101 kind of stuff. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about creation? What do you believe about uh, the, 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 the history of humanity? What do you believe about sin? You know, does it exist? Does it have an effect on your life? What do you believe about uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What do you believe about the Bible? Is it accurate in the life principles it teaches? Is it a reliable source of guidance for your life? I mean, this is like kid Sunday school yeah. stuff, right? And, and then in behavior, it was the same kind of thing. We were simply looking to see, can people translate those very fundamental precepts into actual behavior? Are they doing that in their life? So we were looking at their kinds of moral choices, you know, related to abortion, related to same-sex marriage, related to divorce, related to pornography, related to lying, cheating, stealing, very basic stuff. And, but we put all that together and that's how we came up with the integrated disciple score. Okay then. So what did you, what did you find then after, after doing all these surveys? You interviewed thousands of people with this, right? We did. We actually had three surveys that we did simultaneously. Oh wow. And I can't tell with the headphones on. I don't know if that's the voice of God you know, <laughs> uh, around us. Yeah, it, there's, there's some uh, loudspeaker <laughs> announcements going on here at NRB. So apologies if, if that's getting yeah. picked up by any, any listeners. I hope that's not the Lord saying, no, you're wrong. You know, but, uh, so we had three simultaneous surveys that we did. One with the general public, another one with theologically conservative pastors across the country, and then a third one with a group we call SAGECONS. And that's an acronym for Spiritually Active, Governance-Engaged, Conservative Christians. People whose faith drives their life, and because it does, they know the Bible tells us you need to be involved in all aspects of your culture, including government and mm -hmm. politics. So that may not be popular, but I need my people involved in that so, so they get involved in that. So we did those three surveys. What we can talk about, uh, we can talk about all three, but, but when I'm talking here about numbers now, I'm going to talk about the general public first. Sounds good. Yeah, because we need to understand what's going on in America as a nation. We want to change the culture. We need to know where we are today. What are we starting with? What do we have to work with? What needs to change? Absolutely. So... So where are we, what are we starting with then? If we look at the integrated disciple score, i.e. the number of people who have a biblical worldview the way that we've measured it, 
what we found is only 10% of adults actually qualify as having a biblical worldview. Wow. And that, and that's very different than the percentage of adults who claim to be Christians. In, in well, we, yeah, in America, we've got over 70% who say they're Christian. It's even different than the proportion of people who say they have a biblical worldview. We asked them that question. We found 46% of American adults say they have a biblical <laughs> worldview, but we found that only 10% probably do. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's important, by the way, because... If you're a pastor, you're a small group leader, you're a teacher of some sort, you want to have influence on people's worldview, you have to understand that we've got 36% of the population who think they have a worldview but don't, and the chances of them really paying attention are pretty slim because they think they've already figured it out. Mm. So we always have to be very sensitive to who it is that we're trying to work with in this arena. Because people have all kinds of ideas about what a worldview is, about whether or not they've already figured it out, and we as teachers need to understand who it is that we're working with. So what were some of the other interesting findings that you saw in the general public? With the general public, uh, you know, we had the 20 different belief questions, and we found that for only one of those 20 questions did a majority of Americans have a biblical perspective on that item. And that was simply that, you know, they said it's it's either extremely or very important that they personally work at developing a deeper relationship with God. And even there, it was a bare majority, 55%. Oh. You know, everything else was below those numbers. You know, and, and we're looking at things like, you know, whether or not they believe the Bible is accurate and the, the life principles it teaches, whether or not they think a person can earn their way into heaven by being a good person, whether or not Jesus sinned when he was on earth because he was fully human and fully God, uh, whether or not they believe the Holy Spirit is real or if it's just a symbol of God's presence or power, whether or not they believe Satan exists or if he's just a symbol of evil. You know, so these are not that challenging a group of questions for somebody who reads the Bible regularly. But that was another shocking thing. We found that even among people who read the Bible daily, only 45% of them had a biblical worldview. So what that says to me is, you know what, there's an issue here. It's not simply about us exhorting people, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, have a quiet time every day. That's good. But obviously that's not enough because then it's about, but what do you do with that information? Can you figure out how to translate this word from God, these principles that he's given to us so that we'll lead a better life? Can you figure out how to translate that into a lifestyle that actually honors him as well? And when you talk about someone having a biblical worldview, what's the threshold that you used with the, uh, with, with the score? Yeah, it's a great question because, again, 10 sociologists and theologians in a room, you're going to get 12 different approaches. What we did in, in prior studies, I've done these kinds of studies in the past, never this extensive, never with this many interviews. We interviewed 6,000 people across the country. Uh, we changed it up a bit because we said, okay, not only do we have to have both beliefs and behavior, but instead of insisting that everybody get a perfect score in order to say that they have a biblical worldview, let's go from the point of the Bible that says, you know what, we're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect. None of us has a, a, a perfect understanding of the mind of God. If we have 80% of these things right, we're moving in the right direction. I mean, we're, we're probably in the game. Only God really knows these things, but we're trying to estimate it so that we can behave more appropriately. And so 
we said if you have at least 16 of the 20 belief answers and at least 16 of the behavior answers correct, we're going to put you in that biblical worldview category. So there's enough room for our uh, theologians to quibble about little details oh, while, yeah. still ha while still making their way into the... <laughs> Although, let me, let me remind you that when we were doing this, we didn't want the you know, number of angels on the head of a pen right, right, kind right. of yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, this was not that kind of this thing. Is this is very fundamental. Yeah. All right. So then moving from the general public into the other groups that you were surveying, how did you find that uh, the research differed? Uh, tremendously, and, okay. and thankfully so. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you've only got 10% <laughs> of the general public. You would hope when pastors. Oh, and please, <laughs> Lord, give us something. Yeah. Pastors and people who are claiming to be Christians in politics. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when we work with the uh, theologically conservative Protestant pastors, what we found was 88% of them have a biblical worldview. So not perfect, but really good. Yes. So we've, we've got... Much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We breathe a sigh of relief and say, good, we've got some teachers and leaders around the country who get it they have the goods to share with the people. So we've got some hope there. Why did we just look at theologically conservative pastors? Because from past research I've done, I know that theologically moderate or theologically liberal pastors, by and large, don't trust the Bible. And so I don't have much reason to believe that they'd have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe the Bible is true, why would you remember what it says and then do what it says? So I want to look at the theologically conservative pastors, the one who say the Bible is true, the Bible is reliable, the Bible is trustworthy, the Bible is something we should know. I personally want to teach people the Bible. That's the group I was interested in. So that's where we found 88%. Now, and, and to clarify for our listeners, that is not politically conservative, moderate liberal, that is theologically conservative, theologically, yes, moderate liberal. Thank you, yes, yeah. We do <laughs> you, find you said that, that well, I yeah. just wanted to reiterate that. For <laughs> that's a good thing to reinforce. Yeah, we do find, uh, interestingly enough, that there is a very close correlation between someone's political ideology and their theological position. Hmm, interesting. So it's not perfect, but but it's pretty strong. So, yeah, but I appreciate you making that yeah, clarification. Yeah. yeah. They may correlate, but it's not. We're not defining it that not, way. Not one to one. <laughs> yes, and that's not what we're exactly. Looking at. Right. Um, and so then, with the with the SageCon group, you said it was. What What did you find there? What we found is that's a group again that you know they're spiritually active, governance engaged, conservative Christians, and so they believe that their faith, which they've learned from the Bible, has compelled them to be involved in government and politics. So they pay more attention to what's going on. They're registered to vote uniformly. They vote every time there's an opportunity to do so. And, I mean, they're, they're registered with different parties. They, they do different things, but they're all engaged in some way. They talk about these things. They volunteer. They're active in the process. With that group, we found 90% have a biblical worldview. Oh, wow. So, I mean, even higher than yeah, the theological the conservative the pastors. pastors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Uh, but, but that's, again, a good thing because these are individuals who already are, if you will, activists. They're in the marketplace saying, you know what, my faith matters. I want other people to, to understand the nature of that faith, and I want them to buy into it. In other words, they too, like the theologically conservative pastors, have a biblical worldview that they can share with others as they're out there in the marketplace trying to have influence. So were there any other findings from the study that surprised you or that were that were very notable for you? Well, one of them, and I, I'm, I'm not particularly excited to share this, but it's important that we do. 
when I looked at the beliefs among the theologically conservative pastors, all 20 of them, of the 20, the lowest that was on the scale in terms of the proportion of these pastors who had a biblical perspective was the idea that we have a responsibility to share the gospel with other people. Hmm. I mean, to me, it's hard to believe that people who have had training in how to serve the world by getting the gospel out, I, I think that's what they've been trained to do, maybe not. But, you know, that they say, yes, the Bible is true, I want to follow it, and then they say, but, you know, sharing what Jesus did on the cross and the implications of his resurrection, that's all optional stuff. That's a bonus. It's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, that that's almost like a starting point in this process. What is it that you're doing if you're not attending to sharing the good news of Christ with the world around us? Now, that helps to explain why the proportion of unchurched people in America has doubled in the last seven years. Mm. It helps to explain why the proportion of people who are atheists and agnostics has tripled in the last 10 years. It helps to explain why the percentage of adults who can be described by their theological beliefs as born-again Christians has dropped by 10 percentage points in the last 10 years. That's not good news, but I think a lot of it is because such a large share of our pastors are not willing to share the good news. Now, what do you say of the idea that, because uh, I've heard this being bandied around by some people, that the idea is the falling number of Christians in the country or people who profess to be Christians are simply people who never had a biblical worldview and they're just not claiming that they do anymore. Do you think that the research backs this up or do you think there is actually a, a real worldview problem that's growing in America? Yeah, there's a huge worldview problem that's growing. I mean, we measure... The, the term, the the idea of being Christian in many different ways. So, and we we don't do it based on asking people, what do you think you are? We, we measure it typically by looking at what they believe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, when we talk about born-again Christians, we're not talking about people say, oh, yeah, I'm born again. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. We know that from the research. Mm -hmm. So instead, what we do is we ask them, what do you think is going to happen to you after you die? And the people who say, after I die, I know that I will go to heaven, but only because I've confessed my sins and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That group we classify as born again. So when I say it's gone from 42% down to 30% today in the last 10 or 12 years, it's based on that approach rather than relying on people saying, I'm born again, I'm evangelical, I'm whatever I am. Exactly. And it, it gives a consistency to the defining there as well, which is important for these studies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then uh, what what should we take away from this information? Like how should this change the way that we approach culture? Thank you for asking that, because really, if you don't convert this into some kind of practical action, it's just an exercise in collecting numbers. Right. I don't want it to be that. And so what this says to me is, you know what, if we're, if we want a culture that honors God, and we know that we do what we believe, we're gonna to have to look at people's beliefs and help them convert godly biblical beliefs into godly biblical action. We've only got 10% of the population that knows how to do that right now. Mm. So we've gotta raise that level if we wanna see the culture transformed. But what's that gonna take? I'd suggest a, uh, just a handful of things. I don't know how much time we have, but no, we're good. You know, we'll, we'll go quickly through this. Number one is realize that when a person's worldview is developed, it starts at about 18 months of age 
and it's almost completely developed by the age of 13. Mm. After that age, during the teenage years, what we typically do is we refine some elements of that worldview. But by the time we reach our early to mid-20s, we essentially become an evangelist for the worldview that we've developed. We want other people to buy into our worldview because we think we're right. And so between 18 months and 13 years of age is the key time when we need to be investing in the development of the worldview of our children. So what does that mean? Number one, we've got to turn to parents and say, you probably have the greatest opportunity to shape that worldview. But here's the challenge. With millennials, the parenting generation of today, only 4% have a biblical worldview. Oh, wow. You can't give what you don't have, and 24 out of 25 millennials don't have a biblical worldview. So that also then says there's going to have to be other actors that come into this play and help shape the worldview of the children. Who will those be? Well, the media. The media we found from another piece of research I've done actually has the greatest influence of all on worldview. Well, the mainstream media in America ain't going to help us any. I mean, they're the ones that are driving us away from biblical precepts. So we've got to monitor and mediate and maybe even minimize the kinds of media that our children are being exposed to because they're absorbing worldview lessons from all that media they're exposed to. Thirdly, laws. We know that the government, the laws that it makes and enforces, that's one of the three most impactful entities on developing a person's worldview. So again, we've got to pay attention to what's going on in government, the kinds of laws that they're putting on the books, the kinds of things that they're enforcing, because that gives people a sense of what are the parameters within which I can work. Many people mistakenly say you can't legislate morality. Au contraire, my friend. <laughs> That's all that the law does. Because morality means right or wrong. And what the law is telling us is what is considered right or wrong. If you do what's right, you're allowed to do it. If you do what's wrong, you're punished for it. And so, yes, kids are paying attention to the law. They know when they're breaking the law. They know that it's wrong. And so that law is important also. We need to be shapers of that. Last thing I'll say is for our churches, we've got to rethink the model through which we're trying to communicate truth to God's people. Most people who attend churches have more information than they need. What they need are teachers who are going to help them translate those beliefs into action. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you this morning. If people, if people want to be able to look up this research and see, uh, see some of it for themselves, where can they do that? We have a website at culturefaith.com where people can get uh, a number of different write-ups about this research. Over the next couple of months, we'll continually be putting reports out every Wednesday so they can see the newest and latest. All right. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You've been listening to George Barna on Charisma Connection here on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Taylor Berglund, and thanks for joining us. Do you dream of starting your own business? Do you feel stuck in survival mode? Turn your dream into reality by learning biblical principles and business skills to fuel your entrepreneurial vision. The Joseph Business School is a premier Christian business school that prepares kingdom-minded entrepreneurs. It's a nationally accredited entrepreneurship program that shows you practical and spiritual principles on how to start and run a business God's way. And in nine months, you'll have a comprehensive business plan for your specific business idea. They offer weekend and online courses to fit any busy schedule. 
If you're excited about becoming your own boss, but know you need some focused teaching how to start and grow a profitable business, then Joseph Business School is for you. Don't delay. Spring classes start April 8th, 2017. Visit them at jbs.edu slash online program. That's jbs.edu slash online program or call 1-866-791-4527. And now back to the show. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.